Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. The Denver Nuggets select Michael Porter Jr. But I'm going to make sure that this pick is this organization's best pick they've ever made. Four or six sides. Jokic. Jokic. 23. Welcome in to a new edition of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, TJ McBride from MileHighSports.com, your home for all Colorado sports. And this is another fun podcast. I keep having a great time doing these. And this is going to be another edition of the State of the Nuggets podcast that I've been doing. Um, I've had Brendan Vote on, Adam Mares on, Matt Moore on. And now on this show, you're going to hear from Harrison Wind of DNVR Sports to talk about the exact same topic topics that I was talking about with everybody else. What in Harrison in Harrison's eyes is holding the Nuggets back from truly contending for an NBA title right now? And we discussed a whole lot of different things, whether it was just pure talent, how they're going to acquire it. And overall, it was another very revealing show. And a, a lot of other threads were crossed between Matt's list of things that are holding the Nuggets back and Brendan's list and Adam's list and my list and Harrison's list. So again, I found this a very illuminating episode about the Denver Nuggets. We discussed some weird stuff, talked about some reality TV shows that we've been watching. We discussed what our opinions are of just how things are going in the NBA right now, and also kind of just joked about Summer League a little bit and reminisced on what we probably will not be having this season and potentially ever again in July in the middle of the desert heat in Las Vegas, Nevada for eight hours of basketball a day and 10 hours of drinking after it. So it was a great time. Harrison and I go back, you know, four years to the BSN days before B- uh, BSN transitioned into what is now DNVR Sports. So it was great to get back on a conversation with Harrison and be able to just kind of have these conversations and just reminisce and talk about what could be in the future and speculate a little bit and just talk basketball, which I found to be quite a bit of fun. So hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did. You're going to hear a whole lot about them. Uh, this show, again, is presented by Bet Online, who is the presenting sponsor of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast and a massive supporter of the Blue Wire podcast network. One last thing, though, I want to take a second and talk about is want not need fund. It's a COVID-19 relief fund put together by Meredith Minkow, Shivani Barnfell, and as well as Nitsan Blovstein, who are just phenomenal human beings. And basically what this is, it's a fund you can find online, which is wantnotneedfund.com. And from there, what you can do is donate a little bit of money to where it will be reached out to grassroots organizations to be able to help out people in need. The basic premise is this. If you want a cup of coffee, 
you, but you don't need it. Could you spare that $5 to help somebody get what they need? They're doing such great work, and I'm going to put the link in this bio description as well as in the um, the article description that this podcast will exist in as well. Please, 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 if you have the ability to at least just share it on social media, if you somehow have the wherewithal as well to be able to donate, it helps a ton, and the money will find its way to people who need it. So that's my rant. I wanted to make sure that that got across because those people are so important for what they're doing, and I want to make sure that it's supported. And now we're going to take our first quick break. We're going to tell you about Ben Online, and on the other end will be my conversation with Harrison Wind of DNVR Sports. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 7 because all of this is all online. Or you can participate in $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenges, a March Madness style NFL simulation tournament that you can enter for free. And live right now on BetOnline's YouTube channel, you'll find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all of the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. So as I said on the intro coming into this, I have Harrison Wind of DNVR Sports here with me, my old podcast co-host, or the host, I was the co-host of the old BSN Nuggets podcast from way back in the day. Harrison, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great, TJ. I was just trying to think of how long it's been since it's just been us two on a podcast. Probably years, probably years. I think it has been. I, I remember we did some podcast about like... I think it was trying to build around Nikola Jokic like three years ago at your old apartment before you even lived with Christian. Like we go all the way back at that point. So it's bizarre to think back to like four years ago when we were really doing this stuff. But it's what we've been doing. Brendan and I had the same thing where it's like, man, we haven't sat down and done a podcast together since we worked together in a really, really long time. So I'm excited about this, man. We used to bullshit forever and it was great fun. So, uh, but before we get into the nugget stuff, I've been asking everybody this question and I have not gotten nearly enough good answers. So I'm relying on you to give me something good here. What is the weirdest thing you've done to stay sane during quarantine? What is the weirdest thing I've done to stay sane? I mean, I feel like my quarantine life has been really boring, but everybody's has been really boring. Like, isn't that the whole thing with this? Yeah, uh, that's the thing right now. Adam was like, I've been a dad. I was like, that's not a good answer. Like, at least Matt said he's, like, grilling dragon fruit or some weird Matt colloquialism. But what if, is there nothing? Like, I know that you were, like, suddenly heavy in The Bachelor. Is that still a thing? Well, yeah, I've watched a lot of really weird reality TV. 
We could we could put that on the list. I watched uh, Listen to Your Heart, which is the Bachelor musical spinoff, which I, I very much enjoyed. Uh, that, that was riveting stuff. So I watched that. Uh, yeah. So I mean, that's a little that's a little out of the box to to stay sane during quarantine. Is there a reality show that you feel like you would be good on? Well, I don't think I'd be good on The Bachelor. Just because like, you're in a relationship that might make things a little bit more well, no, even, even if I was single, I don't think I'd be good on The Bachelor because like you gotta be kind of in you gotta be either really insane to like get noticed in one of those first couple nights, or you just gotta like just like have some have something which I don't know if I'd like really stick out in those first couple of nights. I don't know if I'd survive on The Bachelor. Um, the one reality show I would love to go on, which I don't even know if Amazing Race is a thing anymore, but it, The it, Amazing Race would be the number one reality show I'd want to go on. I feel like I'd be okay on it. So I haven't watched much Amazing Race. I have dove into Survivor like a psychopath since all this started. I didn't realize that show was so great to binge. So I've been watching way too much Survivor, but a bunch of them have been on The Amazing Race and they talk about it. And it seems like it'd be tons and tons of fun. So that's definitely one on my list, but I got to get on Survivor. I need to win a million dollars and lie my way to a million dollars. I've also been watching uh, The Challenge a lot. Like The Challenge is ongoing, like live right now during quarantine. So... That'd be another fun one to be on, like, especially right now. The season they're on, they're all just in this bunker in Croatia doing all these crazy challenges. <laughs> That's absolutely insane. Maybe they could hang out with your ice cave guy at some point over there as well. <laughs> it's still one of the funniest bits I've ever seen in my life is that ice, is that ice cave guy. So shouts to him. Um, but are you ready to talk about some basketball? Let's do it, man. Let's do it. What were your thoughts when you saw that we're looking at like a maybe mid-July return to NBA basketball? Like I know all the like, issues that we potentially don't know about because we're not virologists. I don't want to hit the I don't know how health thing's going to work. But in terms of just basketball, were there any thoughts that came into your head when you saw that? Well, I can't say I was that surprised when this rough timetable came out, what, yesterday? Because this has been the direction we've been trending in for quite a while, and and we just know that the money is too big for the NBA to not try to come back in some capacity. The money is really too big for any sport and for society as a whole to not to try to come back, you know, whether it's right or wrong. Um, I know if the money was not a factor, we wouldn't have any sports right now. We wouldn't be yeah. talking about having any sports right now, but this is just the world that we live in. So I can't say I was that surprised when this timetable came out. It, it kind of made sense, but we still got two more months of this. That's the thing, right? We still got maybe two more months slightly under two more months until games start. If that does happen on July 15th, that's still a while. That's still a long time. And we don't even know how training camps are going to go. If there's going to be more communication between the players association and the league about possible worries about injury concerns, because guys have been off for so long, like there's so much that is going to be moving going forward. But the one thing that I'm kind of excited about on a pure basketball nerd level is just, we might get an old school, like summer league variety of games, like Keith Smith of Yahoo reported today, where they might just go one game after another in the same gym over and over again until they finish the regular season. And, 
those things I think are going to be a lot of fun for fans. I'm curious to see what it looks like. Um, but from a Nuggets point of view, do you have any uh, thoughts? Because I know it's hard to have a real take about what this could look like and how it could lead to being negative or positive for the Nuggets. But do you have an initial just reaction to how this could either favor or be a detriment for the Nuggets? So my first reaction is that this could be like March Madness, except with good basketball. Ooh, I like that take. That's a good one. So that could be really exciting, just games back to back to back. And then um, my reaction to the five regular season games that it seems like teams are going to play to get the 70 because, again, the money factor. Yeah. Um, that's going to be really interesting because – a, are the playoff seeds going to be locked in before those five games? I would think so. I, I would just speculate that that would be the case. And, I mean, maybe the Nuggets get matched up with the Rockets in one of those games, or maybe the Nuggets get matched up with the Clippers or Lakers, a team they could play down the line in the playoffs. Do you really want to, like, show your cards in that scenario, or are you just trying to get back and get your legs under you? And I, I feel like that brings up a whole different thing from, like, a scheme perspective. So, I mean, it's fascinating. Um, I don't feel like any team is going to be at a huge advantage, except I have been throwing this theory around there that the Rockets could be at a big disadvantage just because they rely so much on three-point shooting. They're not going to have their legs. Nobody's going to have their legs, and I feel like that's going to impact shooting the most. Yeah, that's a really good point. And on top of that, they made a massive trade that shook up most of the core of their roster besides Russell Westbrook and James Harden moving Clint Capella and trying to integrate P.J. Tucker as a center that they don't have as much time to grow together and figure out those tendencies in an extremely unique system offensively and defensively. So I do agree with that. But I go back to something Michael Malone said on the Zoom call interview that we did with him, whatever it was, six weeks ago. I don't know what time is anymore. But (laughs) that interview, he said that... I can't remember who asked the question, but someone asked about continuity, if it's a good thing, if it could help this Nuggets team in a potential resumption of the season. And Michael Malone noted that this team has not come out of the gate strong, whether it's after All-Star break, whether it's to start the season. And that's always kind of been a smaller Achilles heel or an issue that they have not really been able to overcome. And I wonder if that, paired with the lack of fans, is going to hurt Denver. Because young teams, they usually try and find that fire, that excitement, in ways that aren't necessarily themselves. They haven't developed that inner fire that you kind of need in the NBA. And that's why so many young players thrive off fans so much. Hmm. So I do wonder if that's an aspect. Again, this is so much speculation and conjecture, but it is something that I've been toying around with in my head. The continuity thing is funny. Like going back to the beginning of the season, and this was the same case as last year, everybody was like, oh yeah, the Nuggets are going to get off to a really good start because they're bringing the same team back. They don't have to learn each other's tendencies. They can just pick up right where they left off. And like that was the case. They got off to a really good start this season and last season, even if it didn't totally pass the eye test. You know, they were what, like 12 and three through yeah. the first 15 games. Well, they had the year. best start in season and franchise history for like the first eight weeks of the season. Right. So you're 100% correct. Right. That. that was the same case as last year, too. So that's a real thing with this team. Uh, but I don't, I mean, I don't know if that matters if we're starting up here when every team has been off for two months, I've got to think that regardless of continuity, every team right now is going to be chomping at the bit to get back. And that first game, the emotions are going to be flowing. The blood pressure is going to be so high. That's probably going to be a really poorly played game. Yeah. No matter like how much continuity you have, uh, 
I just can't see that being really beautiful basketball, can you? No, absolutely not. It's going to be like almost like a summer league game in terms of sloppiness for some teams. Like especially the teams if they're playing with no chance at a playoff berth. Like the guys that are going out there playing for Golden State to get to 70 games, this is going to be like some horrifically sloppy basketball for moments. And oh, I'm curious yeah. how that plays out. It's going to be funny cuz the league is going to like put this big charade on to get people to watch, and I wonder if people start to tune out if the games are terrible for the very beginning regular season games and they don't actually get to the postseason i'm wondering if they if the turnout that they're expecting might be actually a little bit lower well i can tell you it's definitely gonna be lower if we're watching jordan pool against darius garland and that's my point exactly or i guess that, that wouldn't be it'd be like jordan pool against uh you know like deer and fox um yeah yeah i think it's act like it's completely absurd that the league is really thinking about bringing 32 teams back like if they really had had their uh priorities straight and correct this would just be a 16 team playoff but you know money talks money does talk uh the last thing i'll say about continuities because i like to point this out as often as i can is that a co-worker of yours brendan vote of dmvr sports in brooklyn next to me asked michael malone if continuity can be a double-edged sword and he didn't like laugh at him maliciously but there was like a little bit of a chuckle like really you think continuity is a bad thing and then he comes <laughs> on to the zoom conference call and immediately proceeds to call it a double-edged sword so i always want to point that out for brendan because he was way ahead of that curve before it ever came up but regardless of that point unless you had something to say about that point real quick well the the thing i'll say about that continuity the last thing i'll say about continuity i i think it's incredibly valuable and we've seen with the nuggets how it has been incredibly valuable over the last couple of years with the hot starts they've gotten off to and whatnot and just the culture that the nuggets have built and like culture can be overrated i think in a lot of senses but it's mm-hmm. not with the nuggets and how they've built this team. And the continuity has a lot to do with the culture. Um, But I think at a certain point, continuity can definitely become overrated, right? Oh, for sure. When you bring the same team back, say the Nuggets brought the same team back next season, I don't really think continuity benefits you uh, there in in that much. I think it kind of has an ending point, continuity does. For sure. And in my opinion, it does a whole lot more to raise your floor than it does to raise your ceiling. So at some point, continuity cannot be what you hang your hat on. You have to ascend past that and actually become the best version of yourselves, not just people who understand each other. It's a very, very important starting point. But until you can get past that as what you hang your hat on, I think that it's just going to be a good culture building as opposed to really helping you compete for an actual title. Yeah. And I also think continuity is more of a regular season thing than a playoff thing, right? Yes, thousand percent. There's a reason that guys in the buyout market make such an impact in playoff positioning teams because even though they don't have any, you know, actual prior connection with those guys is that they fill a particular need they come in they fill their need and they do their job that's when continuity suddenly becomes a little bit less important so i think you hit the nail on the head that playoff it just it's not as important as it is in the regular season but all of that aside Let's get to your list of things that the Nuggets do or need to do or don't have or whatever traits they're looking to acquire to actually become a true NBA title contender. So Harrison, what is the first thing on your list? 
I mean, I feel like this is a really lame answer and just the obvious one, but it's the first one that stuck out to me. It's the talent. Uh, everybody it's the talent, is, right? Is that not the number one answer? Matt, Brendan, and Adam, and it's on my list as well. Everybody has brought that up. They don't have enough top-end talent as it is right now. That's not to say Jamal can't grow into it. It's not to say Michael Porter Jr. can't grow into it. Hell, it doesn't mean that Bull Bull might not eventually on the 1% chance grow into it. But right now, they're not talented enough. So you look at the top contenders in the West, the Lakers, LeBron and Anthony Davis, two arguably top 10 guys, two probably definite top 10 guys, the Clippers, Paul George, Kawhi, and then the other big contender as of right now, the Bucks have Giannis and then not really that second guy, although Chris Middleton is underrated, but he's not a top 10 guy, not that second guy to the level of a – Paul George or an Anthony Davis. But when you got Giannis, you don't really you know, need a, as big of a second banana. But yeah, the Lakers just don't have that guy right now. And look, that's, a, that's okay at, at the point they're at. I still think they can make a deep run in the playoffs. And, and if things go their way, I think this team you know could win the West if enough balls bounce their way. Um, but yeah, they, they don't have the same top-end talent as the other contenders and as the other teams that we've seen come out of the Western Conference over the last couple of years. Uh, I think the encouraging thing is you can see a path, whether it's internally or externally, to getting that top-end talent, right? So the externally getting the top-end talent part is something that I have not been able to fully buy into. Because when I look at building a trade for a Bradley Beal or a Drew Holiday, if I'm the Pelicans or if I'm the Wizards, I'm asking for Michael Porter Jr. And if you say no, the conversation ends. Just because that is the blue-chip recruit. Anybody less than that isn't going to feel like you're getting enough back. And from what I understand from talking to people in the Nuggets, and I believe what you have understand as well, is that Though a Michael Porter trade is not going to happen unless you're talking about a Kevin Durant, LeBron James kind of a deal, which isn't going to happen anyway. They're not willing to move Michael. So with that being said, how do you externally find a player like that? Well, you, uh, you can do it in two ways. You can look to deal other guys on your roster. And I do think if the Nuggets were willing to part with Jamal Murray, they could make uh, the New Orleans Pelicans or, or make the uh, Washington Wizards really think about their two all-stars that they seemingly have on the trade block. I, I do think that could happen. And I even think you could potentially get Drew Holiday without giving up Jamal Murray. Um, so it, you could do it that way. And I would agree with you. Nuggets aren't trading Michael Porter Jr. I, I mean, there are so few names that they would give him up in a deal from. Me personally, I don't even know if I would trade Michael Porter Jr. for LeBron. <laughs> wow. I mean, like, I understand that father time is undefeated, but, I mean, I and, you know, maybe Jokic isn't Jokic with LeBron, but, like, it's LeBron freaking James. Like, at some point, you have to be willing to make that kind of a decision. I always compare the Nuggets to Toronto last year. Like, they might be that one piece away. And I do wonder if... By I, I don't know if there's some reality that one of those star players comes available that the Nuggets would pull a trigger. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough conversation because my whole take on this season has been what the Nuggets do this summer, and they may be in a position where they have to make a big move this summer, was going to be determined by how this playoffs went. I really did yeah. think that this playoffs was going to shed a lot of light on this team. Look, it's Jamal Murray, it's Nikola Jokic's, it's all these guys' the second time in the playoffs, the second go-around 
You can't use the excuse that it's their playoffs, their first playoff appearance anymore. You can't use the excuse that this is a young team anymore. We were going to find out a lot about this team during this upcoming playoffs. And obviously the fear is that there could be a huge asterisk on this season and uh, the playoffs might be totally different than what we thought they were originally going to be like. And we might not learn those lessons about this team and Nuggets will be forced to make or not make some decisions this summer that, you know, they don't have as much background and data on that they could have. Um, so, yeah, I mean, would you trade Jamal Murray for Bradley Beal? Yes. I mean, but we're also, we feel differently about Jamal Murray. Like if anybody knows how we've talked about Jamal Murray when we recorded together years ago, even we've both felt very differently. So in my eyes, that Jamal Murray contract has locked the nuggets into exactly what they are, unless they're able to trade Jamal Murray. So I am of the mind that if you can get a guy like Drew or Bradley Beal, that I would be willing to, tr- to trade Jamal Murray and his maximum contract. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that being said, it's 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 one massive gamble because you put your eggs in that basket. And if you happen to have that guy walk in two years, if you end up having an issue where they get injured, everything that you've built for half of a decade falls apart in your hands to a degree. So it's a very scary proposition now because the Nuggets are all in, but the only way that they can change their circumstances by taking that guy that they invested in and actually move him somewhere else. And I hate the idea of the Nuggets having to face Jamal Murray in a playoff series. Hell, in a random game in the middle of February, I don't want Jamal Murray to have to face this Nuggets team. They're gonna get scorched to pieces. The kind of guy he is is that for the rest of his career, he's gonna try and kill Denver. And that is something that worries me. Yeah, I'd say I would probably make that deal as well, but I really just do want to see how the playoffs turn out and what we see from this team. But then again, like I said before, what we get might not be just totally conclusive of a actual like playoff environment that we would normally get. So it's tough, but I, a one way or another, you've got to think about that this summer there could be some big moves being made. 100%. And actually, it's fun. I'm really happy you brought up this point because on Adam's list was COVID-19 as something holding Denver back. And his point was exactly this. Not being able to answer these questions could be a big turning point in the way that the Nuggets build their roster, especially with all the cap calculations that could be potentially devastating going forward. All of that is going to be extremely nerve-wracking for this Nuggets team. Um, my question to you now on this same talent topic is, if you had to bet on one of Michael Porter Jr. or Jamal Murray to become that legitimate second star, let's say a top 15 player, who would you bet on? Oh, Michael Porter Jr., and it's so wild to me that everybody I've talked to has been like, easy, easy. Like, Jamal Murray is, you know, 18, 5, and 5 before able to drink at one point. Like, he is really talented. And this idea that, and again, I agree with you, but the idea that a theoretical Michael Porter Jr. is who you would bet on to be that second star, I think is extremely revealing. Yeah, and look, it's not like I don't think Jamal has a lot of room to grow. Like, he's only 22. I don't think he's reached his ceiling yet. Um, But Michael Porter Jr.'s ceiling is so much higher than Jamal Murray's ceiling. Um, Like, Jamal Murray can be an all-star. He could have been an all-star this year if he was a little better. Could definitely be an all-star next year. Um, But, you know, can he crack that top 10, top 15 if he wants to be, you know, a top 15 player, he's got to be like, you know, peak Damian Lillard. And, you know, I don't know if he can get there, you know, quite all the way. 
just with Porter, I mean, he's just got so many advantages at six foot 10 with his shot, uh, with his playmaking, playmaking ability, with his instincts. Um, Jamal has some of those things too, but I mean, just being six ten gives you so many advantages. Yeah, I mean, just being six ten makes him a better defender. Like he's not a better defender mentally or in terms of like his physicality than Jamal Murray is necessarily right now. But he just happens to have a seven foot wingspan and six foot ten. Like being able to swallow up that space or just shoot over guys, it's just such a massive boost. Um, the part that I keep tooling around in my head is I wonder if both Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. reach let's just say eighty percent of their ceilings. I, I don't know how they coexist because each of them are going to have the ability to say, I should be the guy to score on this team. I am talented enough. And I don't know how the sacrifice would work between them. I don't know how they fit on the court together. If both are of that level of talent, that part to me is extremely interesting looking on the line in a couple of years. Mm. I love that question. And I, I always think it's such an interesting interesting conversation when we talk about how players fit together and don't fit together because if you look at the 76ers right now nobody thinks or apparently nobody that's talking about the 76ers thinks that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons quote-unquote fit together uh yet they were what a a bounce away from like potentially going to the finals last year yeah. So the fit question is so funny. I think those three can fit together. Uh, I, I really do. I, I do think, you know, th- there would be a little tension over where are Jamal's shots coming from, where are Porter's shots coming from. Jokic isn't going to need any shots. I oh, mean, I'm not he'll just get his offense organically. But I think those three can fit together. And, um, man, if they did and they all did reach their ceilings – Boom. I mean, you oh, have it right there. Yeah, if you have a big three like that, the Nuggets have a potential to have a like small dynastic run. Like It's a very small percentage chance, but that big three locked into Denver long-term. And I do believe that if you had three players of that ilk, that Stan Kroenke would then go into the tax. Because he has before when they've had realistic shots at titles. The only two times he's gone in are for those exact reasons. But I, I do believe that that team has a very real chance to not just win one title, but maybe even more multiple and that's of course if both of them reach their peaks and they're not injury prone which is already a concern um do you have any other things you wanted to say about the talent portion of this oh well so do you think those three can fit together I think they can on paper. I think if Michael Porter Jr. continues to play this brand of basketball, a 21% usage rating, then yes, I do. I just don't think that when Michael Porter Jr. gets to a point that he is just the most one of the most effortless scorers in basketball, that he's going to care about being your off-ball threat offensive rebounder. Like I just don't view his mental approach to be that when he's that good. I don't see him as Paul George. I see him more as Carmelo Anthony in the way that they view themselves. And that to me makes it extremely difficult for them to both operate on a floor together. Of course, that could all be changed. Michael Porter is an extremely young guy. And if somehow Michael Malone can get into his head and turn him in to that Paul George archetype of off ball, on ball, some pick and rolls, but also willing to do the dirty work while defending multiple positions. If he can do that, then yes, undeniably true. They can absolutely work together i just don't have a whole lot of faith if michael porter jr is the player we think he is that he would be willing to be that guy Hmm, that's interesting yeah i mean i can see that i can definitely see that argument 
I'm just not quite willing to go there yet when Michael Porter Jr. has played, what, 600 minutes? Yep, yep. So I'm going to hold off on that. So I'm going to say that I think those guys can flourish together. Yeah, I do too. And, and to be fair, Matt and Adam and Brendan all have agreed with you in the same regard. But I do, I, I just want to see it. I don't disagree with you, but I want to see it first. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to hit on talent? Um, No, I think that's about it. Cool. What is the next thing on your list? The, the next thing, I mean, I didn't feel great about this next one, but um, it, it was just kind of learning the lessons that playoff teams and just teams that are on the rise have to go through. But then I was thinking on the other hand, I feel like they've learned a lot of those lessons already. Like they had the game 82 in Minnesota that obviously made a huge imprint on these guys. And they were a different team, a different organization after that game. They had the second round loss in seven games on their home court. Um, so I feel like they've learned a lot of lessons, but um, I mean, they are still a little bit young. They still are a little inexperienced. So I'd say maybe just more experience, if that can be one of these. No, I totally agree with this point because my way of viewing young players and their playoff debut is it's a whirlwind. How do you take in all of those lessons? How do all of it seep into your brain to where you make them habits to become better next? Like I couldn't imagine the whirlwind of your first NBA postseason when you're barely old enough to drink. So is it fair to assume that they actually retained all of that information? I think there is a consistency and a level of repetition that you need to have in that environment for a lot of these lessons to stick. So I actually agree with this point entirely. And the tough thing is, and we've already hit on this, yeah, they're going to be playing in the playoffs again, but is this real playoff experience that they're going to get if this is a uh, abridged version of a regular playoff slate and this is pretty much just summer league, but the NBA playoffs? That doesn't sound like playoff experience to me. No, and the only person on this Nuggets roster that I have complete faith in what they will be able to do in a playoff setting is Nikola Jokic. I have no idea what to expect from Jamal Murray right now. Are we going to get disaster Gary Harris or amazing Gary Harris? Like, what is Paul Millsap's role going to be? Is Jeremy Grant going to end up starting? How does he melt with Jokic after this long of a hiatus? Are they going to play Mason Plumlee in their rotation? Like, there are so many questions around each individual when it comes to a playoff setting other than Nikola that they need to answer them because they have so many many free agency decisions to make in the most chaotic free agency market that we're probably ever going to see. So I <laughs> like that's something that I am always going to wonder about because if those questions aren't answered, like we talked about earlier in this podcast, the Nuggets have some incredibly difficult decisions to make with not enough data to make that decision correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point. Like if you look back on Jamal's playoffs last season, like he did some amazing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, most uh, importantly, rescuing Denver from uh, <laughs> that game too. From an elimination, life saved them from that one, man. Whew. Yeah, mo- most notably, game two against the Spurs. But he also had some big time performances in uh, that second round series against Portland. Like he showed some major cojones in, in the playoffs. So. I've got a lot of confidence with Jamal coming into these playoffs, and I just have this kind of inkling that he's a big-game player. I just feel like we've seen that a little in the regular season. We even saw that a bit 
in the playoffs last year. So I've got a lot of confidence in him. I've got a lot of confidence in Will Barton right now. Yeah. He had and the Nuggets yeah. didn't have that in the playoffs at all last season. That was a big question mark. And then, um, yeah, the other guys you hit on, like Paul Millsap and uh, Jeremy Grant, I could see a scenario where like Jeremy Grant's outplaying Paul Millsap in the playoffs, but not necessarily starting. And yeah. maybe he's closing games. And with Gary, it's funny. Maybe we kind of undervalued and sold what he did this season a little short because, yes, he was really bad offensively, but Gary Harris played the best defense of his career this year. Yeah. I think we can say that pretty safely. And, look, he, he was definitely a step or two better defensively and just a level or two better defensively than he was last year and the year before. And, yes, his offense wasn't great, but, I mean, think about how many games where he just shut down Devin Booker or Bradley Beal or Luka Doncic or helped shut down James Harden. So um, maybe, maybe we're selling Gary a little bit short on what he did this year. I agree with this. Also, okay, let me let me put two parts of this in. One part is that before the All-Star break, there was only one player playing 30 minutes or more who shot worse than Gary Harris did from the field and from three, and it was Justice Winslow who played like 10 games. So on offense, he was disastrously bad in my opinion. But once they cleared the All-Star break and they got back to playing, Gary Harris looked like the Gary Harris of old. He was confident shooting the ball. He was finishing at the rim he wasn't taking as many floaters he wasn't playing off the dribble nearly as much and his defense did not fall so I wonder if this rest in particular could be really good for Gary Harris because it's not good I mean this is very well known that Gary Harris has had an incredible amount of lower body injuries over the past two years so I do wonder if this is a, a potential for a Gary Harris resurgence after this um hiatus that the league is on and that suddenly he can kind of step back into that role because if the Nuggets play the Rockets in the playoffs they are going to need 36 to 38 minutes of Gary Harris every night in in my opinion. So that's going to be fascinating. Oh, for sure. For sure. How many, so what was it? 10 games after the all-star break, right? They you were five and, five and I will pull the numbers up right now. So I think they were five and five after the all-star break in those 10 games leading up to the hiatus. And yeah, Gary was phenomenal. He was great. He was shooting like above 40% from three attacking the rim. Like 55% if I remember correctly from three, like he was lighting it up by the end of that it was really really impressive and it wasn't just that it was the fact that he was getting downhill and finishing at the rim with an actual authority and he wasn't being nervous when he approached the rim there wasn't all those floaters so after the all-star break they played 10 games he played 30 minutes a night he shot 53.2 percent from the field 57.7% from three while also having a steal and a half a game while also throwing in three rebounds and 1.8 assists. That's the Gary Harris the Nuggets need. The hyper-efficient offensive player who can defend like a dog and plays just some of the best 30 minutes two-way that you're going to get anywhere. And I think that that's going to be incredibly important going forward. Do you have the minutes that he played per game prior to the All-Star break? Oh, I can pull it back up real quick for because sure. Because I'm guessing it was over 30. He played less after than um, after the All-Star break because remember he came back from that injury. Right, so I do wonder if a, if a lower minutes total leads to just more consistent stuff from him. And, yeah. and, and the other thing about Gary, like he had maybe like five or six or seven game stretches over the first 
like two thirds of the year. And we were like, oh, is he back? Maybe he's back. He's definitely back. And then, you know, he would have a, a bad couple weeks. But I felt like there was something different about these 10 games, like compared to those really good stretches he had at the beginning of the season. There was just a different feeling around those 10 games. I agree, man. It's so much so that like it was like one of the first things I wrote about when the season ended was that like Gary Harris is coming back and it's a big deal, but it's it's still impossible to look past the first part of he played 46 games to start the year, shot 40% from the field and 29.9% from three. Like there is like it cannot happen. He has to be better than that, in my opinion. I do wonder, though, if we're seeing a bit of maybe a transition uh, from Gary just on his career arc. And it's probably a little too early for that considering he's just what, 24, 25. Yeah. Um, Like he should still be on the upward climb, but on the team he's on right now uh, on the nuggets with Nicole Jokic and Jamal Murray and an emerging Michael Porter jr. With Paul Millsap and Jeremy Grant, you know, filling out the corners. uh, He really is going to be best utilized as like a defender and a guy who just knocks down threes. Yeah. If he can you know, execute some DHOs and get to, to the rim, that's ideal. Uh, but maybe we're seeing him just kind of morph into a lower usage guy. And that would be good, but at the start of the season, it felt like Michael Malone was looking for another guy who could break down a defense and then kick out to the corners and or hit a floater. It seemed like Gary Harris's play style was actually what they wanted because they don't have a whole lot of guys who can break down a defense and just get to the cup. And I think that they were trying to make Gary into somebody that maybe he just isn't. It felt very, very bizarre that his game would shift so much in the way that it did this season does that carry any weight to you well i don't know how it, i don't can't really remember honestly <laughs> I, I can't remember what um what like they were running from at the very beginning of the year but i mean my images of gary that come to mind this year are like him coming off a dribble handoff taking one or two hard dribbles to the hole and then, you know, backing it back out or picking up his dribble, not getting all the way to the cup or, um, you know, Gary Harris, like getting a dribble handoff and trying to shoot that three behind the screen and the defense just going way under Nikola Jokic because they're going to let Gary shoot that because, you know, he is not the 40, 42% guy. He was a couple of years ago. That's what I remember from him. Um, but, um, it's a little tough to remember what was being run for him in October, November. It was funny. I went and just like looked at the standings for the first time in like two months and was like, wait, that was what their record was. And like, I can't even remember back to how things were because it was just such a, and also this has just been a bizarre NBA season. Like the fact that this started with, summer league and earthquake shaking a jumbotron so much an earthquake from la that was felt in vegas that shook a jumbotron so much that we canceled games like you and i were standing next to tim Connolly, who also didn't know if the nuggets were going to play and then daryl morey starts an international incident and then you have you know uh then you have who was it 
Donald Stern or Donald Stern or who was it? Who? What's the original? I can't remember his name right now. The old commissioner, David Stern. David Stern. I could not remember his damn name. And then you have Kobe pass away, and now you have Jerry Sloan passing away today, and now you have a global pandemic. Like this is an absolute bizarre season. So I, I'm with you, man. Thinking back to like November, December, it feels like it was four years ago at this point, and I can't even wrap my head around it. One thing I do remember from the beginning of the season, obviously Jokic's slow start, um, which I am pledging right now. Uh, if Jokic ever has another slow start, it's going to be much ado about nothing. Um, you're going to hear that from me. I can't speak for everybody else, but I will <laughs> never um, overreact to another Jokic slow start because he's done it two years in a row. Yep, me too. <laughs> we say that now, but like, that <laughs> to, uh, December. <laughs> Uh, the other thing I remember is that like this was Jamal Murray's team, man. This yeah. was Jamal Murray's team in October and November in the early parts of December. Um, but when you were talking about Summer League, that actually got me thinking about uh, when we were, we, we were talking about the proposed NBA timeline uh, earlier in the show that Keith tweeted out on that Keith tweeted out. I'm most concerned about when Summer League is going to be. Is Summer League going to be in Orlando now? Or are we going to go back to Vegas? Is Summer League going to be in like November? Like that could be a little cold even for Florida. I'm no, a little no, no, worried about no. it. I am not okay with this take at all. We have been in Vegas in July in 120 degrees and you're complaining about not having heat? Like I, like, I am so happy that we might be in Vegas in November when there's nobody there and it's like 75 degrees and we can just like be regular humans. Like I can just drink coffee and not have to worry about my heat level inside my body getting so extreme that I pass out from heat exhaustion because I have so much liquor in my system. Like I'm so happy to not have that anymore. I cannot begin to explain to you. But it's just something that's synonymous with Summer League. <laughs> You're in the gym and then you just walk out at night, uh, like at 11 p.m. to the strip and you just are engulfed in that gust of Vegas heat that just hits you right in the face. There's no feeling like that. Come on. There are so many feelings that I want instead of that one. Like, I will never forget going blind from walking from the parking lot to entering the arena because it's so hot and there's so much asphalt that your eyes start to burn. Like, Vegas in July is hell, and I hate them for doing that, and I cannot wait for September (laughs) Vegas. (laughs) Vegas Um, in November could be awesome, though. It could be That could be a complete game changer. You know what they need to do? They need to do it over over Halloween weekend. We need to have Halloween weekend in Vegas for Summer League to where we can party and we can still cover basketball. That would be my favorite weekend for a Summer League. Oh my God. Do we dress up? Oh, I'm showing up in the hot dog costume and I wouldn't even look weird because there's like seven other people in the fans for some reason wearing costumes. Like we saw all the Taco Fall fans in taco outfits last time we were there. So you would just blend in. Like you'd be another Vegas Vegian. I don't know what the what the term is there, but yes, I am so in for uh, Vegas late night. October Vegas. I I don't know, man. We are so <laughs> off topic. Um, what's your next thing on your list? Oh, you know, TJ. To be honest, I didn't have anything else on my yes, list. Yes, I love this. I'm prepared. <laughs> I think the Nuggets are ready to contend this year. <laughs> I think if the right number of things break their way, they can contend this year. I think they've got the talent. I mean, they don't have the talent of the top tier teams in the West, but as we saw 
like last year, the things almost broke their way and they almost, and they were like within a bucket of the Western conference finals. Um, so like, yes, they need more talent. Yes. They probably need to endure a couple bumps and bruises, but Hey, if things break their way, I'm with a couple guys on the nuggets. that think this could be, you know, they could be contenders with their current roster as is. So the one thing I want to ask you before I let you go, the one thing on my list that has been on a couple others as well is, are you concerned about the lack of creativity and joy in the Nuggets offense? Um, slightly. I wouldn't say I'm as concerned as others. Um, but this has kind of been a trend for the last couple of years now. Like the yeah, peak Nuggets yeah. offense was probably – in just in terms of like creativity and imagination, like 2016, 17. And uh, since then it's been trending away from that. Um, But, you know, I think in the playoffs, you naturally get less of that. And it would be great if the Nuggets could, you know, carry over the motion and the equal opportunity offense of the playoffs. Um, But, you know, just in the playoffs, you naturally get less of that. And it just kind of boils down to, you know, who, who's your guys? Uh, like, uh, who can go get a bucket when you need it? And um, so I, I am a little concerned about it. And I think a big reason behind it is just because, look, there's a lot more individual talent on this team. Yeah. When you're talking about Jamal Murray and even Gary Harris and Will Barton and Jeremy Grant, there's a lot more individual talent than there was a couple of years ago when it was a much more unselfish approach. Um, so I think part of it isn't just natural, um, but I'm a, a little concerned a bit about it. What about you? I, I'm concerned, yes, because I, I just haven't seen the joy. That's really all I care about. They could have an ugly, funky offense for a month, but if they're but if they're having some fun and they're like out there smiling and Jokic can play like Jokic, I'd be fine with it. But it seems that there's lulls to where nobody's happy with what, with what is going on on the court. So that concerns me. And the other part of it is I feel that the Nuggets offense started to lose that, um, that pep when their defense started playing more aggressively and they started playing up at the level of the screen and scrambling behind it. I'm worried that they might be uh, giving so much effort defensively because they're scrambling for two thirds of the shot clock that maybe they don't have the energy to move in the same way that they were before. Yeah, maybe. And let me know what you think about this, but I think a big reason why uh, they might have lost that quote unquote joy in their offense, particularly during this very regular season that we just watched, this team didn't care about the regular season. (laughs) Yes. They could not give a shit about what happened in the regular season. This team was looking ahead to the playoffs from the moment they broke ground on training camp uh, in in San Diego back in September. Uh, It was like, obviously you can't do that. And you definitely can't do that. If you're a team like the Nuggets who, no, just made the playoffs for the first time with this current contingent. Like you can't be looking past the regular season. You can if you're LeBron. You can't if you're the Denver Nuggets. Um, but I, I do think they, they were to an extent, but um, they were still able to pile up a really impressive record. But maybe some of that lost joy was because they're like, hey, we experienced the playoffs. We know what's coming. That's what we really got to get ready for. This is just kind of the uh, – the waiting line before we get to the ultimate goal. 
I'm really happy you said that because I playing devil's advocate because I don't necessarily uh, fully agree with this take, but I asked Matt if this was a show or a, a moment of maturity for this Nuggets team to understand that 82 games is a long fucking time and that not playing that hard for 82 games to be ready for the playoffs is just a sign that they understand how this league works. Is that something that you would believe? Um, I think it can be, and I think there's a little truth to that. Um, like, I feel like after the playoff run last year, you had guys in that locker room who really did realize and were thinking throughout this entire regular season that, you know, yeah, we lost to the Warriors. Yeah, it's a bad loss. But, I mean, let's not overreact. Like, we're not going to, you know, miss the playoffs just because we lost to the Warriors in March. Um, so I do think they gained that perspective because they were in the playoffs. So, yeah, I mean, it, it could be looked at, I guess, a little bit as a sign of some maturity. But I don't know. It doesn't feel good saying that, does it? It doesn't. It feels so dirty because, like, you played sports growing up. So did I. So the idea of just being like, eh, I don't care about playing or competing is, like, completely antithetical to, like, everything that I am. But it still, I think, is a very fascinating discussion about the league as a whole, is that this season is just too long. And I fully, fully, fully believe that. And I also fully, fully believe that it'll never change because the owners will always want their money. But I do think that you're going to see a whole lot more teams, a whole lot more players develop that LeBronian mindset of, I'm not going to care about November basketball. I'm Adam made this point perfectly, I thought. It's not about winning regular season games. It's about developing the correct habits that you can then carry into the postseason. So maybe you're not playing as hard. That's an issue. But if you're still developing um, chemistry or if you're still developing a new understanding of a different part of your schematics as an offense or a defense, that is so much more important than the wins that you're getting or even necessarily how much effort you're giving on a minute-by-minute basis for all 82 games. And I thought that was a very good way to phrase it. Yeah, that is. And, um, you know, like, I just went on this whole rant about how they, like, overlooked the regular season. And, like, yeah, they, you know, finished as the third seed in the West. So, like, they (laughs) didn't overlook it that much. They're just that good and have that much talent where, you know, maybe they can look past it a little bit and still be that good. Um Oh, yeah. What I was going to say, though, is and and this kind of factors in the uh, continuity topic that we were talking about earlier. I think this is such an interesting comparison, but like the Los Angeles Clippers um, didn't have a lot of continuity. Like they they had some continuity, but obviously Kawhi and Paul George were new. Um, They gave one of those guys the night off every other game. They did not care about the regular season at all and are the two seed yep. and like it, it felt like the nuggets you know they didn't really load manage at all this season like some of us thought they might have um they, they it seemed like they went out and at least from a coaching perspective want to win every game and they're the three seed so cool. like something there doesn't add up you know what i mean for sure. And I think a part of it is just that like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are just so fucking good that they you can do that. And their bench is just so lights out that you can just win games with your B team at that point. So I do think that's part of it. But also, I think that Kawhi is going to be a more revolutionary figure in basketball 
um, than people realize off the court. It's not just what he's on on the court. It's not just the injury. He has changed the way that players are going to approach an 82-game season. They have changed rules to allow Kawhi Leonard to do things the way that he wants to. And my hope is, is that the Nuggets will find a way to follow suit. Because there were moments during the season that Michael Malone was like, yeah, I would like to rest some of our guys, but they just won't rest. I hope that players start to look at Kawhi and they're like, you know what? That dude is ready when it matters. And that is going to do more for my legacy and my resume than winning in November ever will. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I agree with you. That's the way the league is definitely going. It's the way players are thinking more and more. You still have that rare breed of guys who are you know, never going to sit out, never going to take any time off with an injury, fight tooth and nail to get back on the court. And Jamal Murray probably slides into that category. Yeah, honestly, in that category, there yeah. is no arguing that, in my opinion. And like, yeah, Jamal probably could have taken a few games off, but that's also, I think, one of his best qualities. And what I love about Jamal is that he's such a gamer and such a competitor that he wants to be out there every night. I think it's a really great quality that he has. But yeah, it's a, it's the way the league is trending for sure. So you're okay with Jamal Murray playing through these injuries as often as he does, because one of the things on my list, it's injury concerns. And I know that Jamal Murray doesn't miss games. I'm not arguing that. He's not weak-minded or anything like that. But if you continually play through injuries over and over and over again, it is going to leave a lasting effect, whether in the short term or the long term. And I myself am extremely concerned about Jamal Murray always playing through injuries and that potentially catching up to him. Oh, yeah, I I am too. I mean, look, there were times when in a first quarter of a game, in the first two minutes of the game, it was obvious that he was not close to 100%. Like, there were a lot of instances like that. And um, so, so no, I I don't think he should play through every injury. Um, what, What I was saying was just like, I do really respect his uh, his just competitive drive, and I feel like that can just just that competitive competitiveness can kind of ooze off on other players, and guys can get inspired by that stuff. But no, he, there were definitely times this season when he shouldn't have played, and um, I think the injuries and just how his body holds up is a concern too. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating how they handle Jamal Murray going forward because him and Michael Malone are two peas in a pod when it comes to, like, I am stronger than the injuries that I have sustained. Like, they're so um, connected in that way that I have, I, have, I wonder if it not makes things worse, but if it creates that culture more so than they intended for it to. Just because there are a lot of tough guys on the team. And you brought up Michael Malone's name, and that's an interesting point because I wonder if – we sometimes forget that Michael Malone is a pretty young coach. He, he's yeah. been a head coach for like six and a half years. Maybe as that mark starts to creep up to the 10-year level and maybe if he gets some more job security, he'd be more he'd be more willing to loosen the reins and take his foot off the gas a little bit more in the regular season. You know, and have a more Doc Rivers approach. But then again, you know, Doc Rivers has won a championship and can be the Clippers coach for life. Malone isn't in that situation. 
For sure. And I also think Malone, people need to give him more credit for how he's grown each year. Because Michael Malone has improved as a head coach each season, in my opinion. Whether it's in-game management or clock management or timeout management, which was like the funniest little side plot of us all sitting together is just counting the timeouts as the game got lower and lower. But those things, like he has improved in very in a, quite a few meaningful ways. So I do believe that Michael Malone can improve in this way. And I think something that is incredibly revealing from doing this so far with Brendan, Matt, Adam, and you now is that nobody has brought up Michael Malone or the coaching tree or whatever you want to call it as a potential hurdle to overcome to get to title contending. And I find that extremely interesting because every fan or a lot of fans still call for his head. And on top of that, you know, you go back 18 months and his head was on the chopping block. So it's very interesting to me that Michael Malone has kind of been accepted now and and people understand that he deserves the chances that he is getting. He has done a hell of a job with what he's been given. Yeah, well, I don't think his head should have been on the chopping block 18 months ago. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think with Michael Malone, this team can you know get to a finals and win the West. I think he's a good enough coach to take them there. Uh, but it's funny because on the DMVR Nuggets podcast, which we just recorded before I hopped on here with you, I was talking about how even the top coaches in the league, and we were actually talking about this with Jerry Sloan, who uh, tragically passed away this morning. Um, but even the top coaches in the league get uh, picked apart to a certain extent. Like Steve Kerr got railed for just his insistence to play traditional bigs during the Warriors dynasty. I will never forget the Kavon Looney love that he had. It's just the Andrew so Vogan love, the Verizal love. Oh. Um, Greg Popovich gets picked apart for his archaic offense at times. And yeah, like those guys have championships. Those guys have a lot more pedigree than Malone. Um, But yeah, I mean, he has some faults. Every coach does, Uh, but I don't, yeah, that's not something that came to mind for me. That's not something that came to mind for me when you asked me that question. Yeah, me either. And not for anybody else that I've had on here. And the more I keep thinking about the Michael Malone trajectory, people keep wanting to do the whole Mark Jackson, Steve Kerr thing. I think that's entirely wrong. I look at Eric Spolstra as a guy who slowly worked his way up the ranks, paid his dues, can connect with players, but is also a hard ass, can maintain egos, but also knows how to establish a culture. I think that there are more parallels with Eric Spolstra and Michael Malone than almost any other coach in the NBA right now. Hmm, That's interesting. That's really interesting because if we remember the early days of Eric Spolster were not pretty at all. No, they went very bad. Everyone wanted fired. LeBron wanted Pat Riley to come down and coach the team. Yep. And Um, then the Heatles became the Heatles in a large part because of Eric Spolstra being enough hard ass to actually talk back at LeBron and also the fact that he had a camaraderie with his guys that he was actually hurt. Like that sounds so much like Michael Malone to me, who also, by the way, has coached LeBron James. So I wonder how much of those parallels are just in my head or how much they really exist. I wish I could ask more coaches right now, but we're stuck inside. But it's something that I've definitely been playing with. Yeah, what you do feel good about is I don't know, even though the Nuggets did not show up at times this regular season, even though they didn't show up in like that Clippers game, um, they did show up a lot. And I think they do play hard for Michael Malone. Oh, yeah. Uh, I feel like that's definitely a factor where like they look at him and say, 
yeah, he's been with us from the beginning. We want to play hard for this guy. Uh, I, I think that's definitely a theme that kind of most of this ro- roster, really all of this roster kind of has. Something that we've all spoken about as media, whether it's just like around a media table while we're waiting for a game to start, is that players will actually echo exact phrases that Michael Malone says. And I'm sorry, if you don't like somebody, you will not actively look to speak like them. Like he gets through to them. It seeps in. His words are heard. And that to me, when they're able to then re-articulate it back to the media without you know any kind of prompt, that to me is something that says that he is getting through to his guys and that they want to listen to his tutelage or however you want to phrase it. So I right. do believe that Michael Malone absolutely gets through to these guys. Definitely. And we've talked about leadership with this team a lot. Is is Michael Malone the vocal leader of this team? Oh, absolutely. There is no question about it in my eyes. And like Will Barton does a good job of filling in sometimes, as does Nicola and Jamal Murray, but they don't have a bona fide guy who will get up and talk. Like Isaiah Thomas was the closest that they've had to that in five years, and they don't really have those guys. So Michael Malone, whether he wanted to or not, has been forced into that role. Right. And like Isaiah Thomas was a really good leader and vocal presence, but like you can only be that guy to a certain extent when you're not playing. That's just my personal belief on I leadership. Agree. And I also um, think that you have to be a better, higher profile player to really have your voice heard in the way that it needs to. Like nothing against Will Barton, but you can't be the fourth or fifth best guy and be that kind of a um, impactful leader in my eyes. It has to come from someone at the very, very top. Yeah. So I mean, if it, I mean, just think about like the take that L on the way out like that defined this team really from the moment Michael Malone said that uh, like through where they're at right now. And um, I I feel like he is the voice of this team to a certain extent. Yeah. Players fill in here and there. Will Barton made an impassioned locker room speech this year. Jamal Murray has made a lot of strides as a vocal leader as well. Jokic too. But um I feel like Michael Malone is the voice of this team more so than you know a lot of other coaches are the voice of their teams around the league. And he's even their ambassador, which I also find funny. Like he's not just on the court kind of big, loud leader. He's also the guy that is in free agency meetings, making Paul Millsap feel like this is the place for him to be. Like the amount of hats that Michael Malone wears for this franchise is really insane. Like he's doing player development stuff on the court with guys, as well as helping with the offense and defense, as well as being the head coach, as well as being in these free agent pitches, as well as helping in draft day scenarios. Like not all head coaches are this ingrained in everything everything and i think that speaks back to what you started with which is this nuggets culture that they've been able to build that is so incredibly important for them and that alignment thing that they talk about so much it's very very real and michael malone is a massive part of it in my eyes yeah leaning on your culture does have a uh, end point though it does i feel like culture is a uh, it's like a bomb that has a four to five year clock on it and it's just ticking down and ticking down and ticking down and yeah you can always fall back on it like the heat yeah uh, falling back on heat culture quote unquote for the last decade and yeah it's like legit the spurs culture they can fall back on but you know eventually as you see in both of those places if you don't have the talent culture can only take you so far 
And culture is defined by individuals. Pat Riley embodies the Heat culture. Greg Popovich and R.C. Buford represent the Spurs culture. Michael Malone represents the Nuggets culture. I don't think you can keep these things going if you remove the parties involved that have made them what they are. And that, to me, is the most important part of this. Because if you lose those individuals, like, the Heat is not the Heat culture without Pat Riley. Like, you need to have those individuals to kind of carry that torch in my eyes. But you can transition. For sure. you, you can transition from what you know the Nuggets culture was this year and last year and the year before. Like a culture can take on a new meaning, and uh, you know you'd probably have Tim Conley here, who who is a huge part in building that culture as well. Just his presence and you know the, the roster too. So it, it can change over time. For sure. So, last question I'll ask you. If the Nuggets play on July 15th against the Rockets in the first round series, who are you taking? My pick for the series? Yes. Nuggets in seven. Nuggets in seven. That's exactly what I have as well. We're both weak in our predictions. But oh well, (laughs) I don't care. I love it. Harrison, seriously, dude. Thank you for sitting here for an hour and just bullshitting with me. I miss doing this with everybody. So thank you so much. And please plug everything, all like the 47 things that you guys do over at DNVR real quick. (laughs) Uh, I won't plug that much. Just uh, (laughs) DNVR Nuggets podcast, of course, Monday through Friday, which we're doing live on video for the time being which has been a lot of fun we've had some good guests and then the dnvr.com of course seriously guys go support dnvr sports they have a bar for god's sakes these guys are doing something special with creating a community for local sports coverage and it's something that i think might actually be really sustainable and those things don't exist right now in local media so please go support what they're doing go down to the dnvr bar whenever it's able to be safe to do so i will be there getting drunk as well you'll probably run into me but go support those guys man i love what they're doing they deserve all the support in the world harrison again thank you so much man. tj thank you that was this was fun all right have a good one